Welcome to episode 113 of The Night Shift. My name is Mike Stubbs, along with Kyle Grimard. Follow Kyle on socials at Kyle Grimard, G-R-I-M-A-R-D. Follow me at Stubbs980. Kyle, is there ever a time when on podcasts we stop counting episodes? Is it just like this is this episode? I guess you, we need numbers to tell them apart, don't we? We're always talking nights. We we always are, but you know, it's I've I've heard podcasts that talk about getting to episode 2000 and, and plus, so <laughs> we're not the only ones that do it. I'll say that. Okay, well, this is episode 113. We're going to recap a loss against the Oshawa Generals, what that might mean in terms of schedules as we look at London and Saginaw down the stretch, maybe an outside Sault Ste. Marie, the London Knights, not a bad schedule, but Saginaw also not a bad schedule. Easton Cowan and Sam Dickinson have continued their point streaks. Dale Hunter gave us the shot scene around social media, and he will tell us what some of the texts have been saying that he has been getting. And then we'll preview the London Knights and the Kitchener Rangers. You know Kitchener not having a game before they play the London Knights on Friday, March the 1st, is going to be ready for this one. But Kyle, let's begin with a loss to the Oshawa Generals. Sequels are never supposed to be better than the original. I know there are some people who <laughs> point to different movies and say, yeah, yeah, but the second one, Weekend at Bernie's 2, was way, way better. I don't know. Oftentimes, it's difficult to make the sequel any better. Beverly Hills Cop, was that better as it moved along? It may have been. But sequels are not supposed to be better than the original. This one almost was. So let's recap. On February 11th, the Knights go into Oshawa. They fall behind 3-0 with under 12 minutes remaining. They start to score. They score three times. They tie the game, and Easton Cowan wins the game with 20.7 seconds to go in overtime. The Knights, on February the 28th at Budweiser Gardens, fall behind 3-0, make it 3-2. Then find themselves down three goals again, make it 5-4, and don't end up getting the tying goal. So in a way, it was a sequel, maybe a sequel like Friday the 13th Part 2. I don't know. It was something that the, the Knights nearly, nearly pulled off. Can you imagine, Kyle, if they had tied the game at any point? This would have been theirs to get. As it stands, it comes up as a 6-4 loss after Connor Punnett showed just how strong his forearms are, wristing a puck from the Gracious. hash marks of his own zone in the air all the way down the ice and into the net. That was something. The puck looked like it just stayed on like one of those glass like walkways where it just sat and sat and sat until it was in the net. That thing had absolutely no downward trajectory at all. I thought it was going to go over the net at one point, but that eventually sealed it. And you know, Mike, it, it would have been something else had the Knights done it because you and I were texting back and forth throughout the game. This just seemed like a game where nothing was going right for the Knights. You know, Oshawa scores, uh, you know, their second goal off a bounce that goes off the stick of Isaiah George past Michael Simpson. The London Knights, I think, hit two posts in the first period, a third one in the third as well. And any opportunity that London could have had was, you know, inches away from changing the whole outcome of the game. And was just one of those nights, you know, it's a Wednesday night. It's not the normal crowd at Budweiser Gardens in terms of what you expect on a Friday night. You know, it's midway through the week. People are thinking about their day at work Thursday. And it's just it was one of those ones that it felt like it was out of place. And you could tell early on that just 
things weren't going London's way and things were going Oshawa's and credit to the generals. They came out strong. Jacob Oster was stronger in this one, keeping, you know, the London Knights at bay. Oshawa was able to get out to a three nothing lead and then slowly but surely hold on towards the very end. But it just seemed like London was trying so hard to get back into it that, you know, every time they were at an opportunity where they could, the puck didn't go the way they wanted it to. And that really opened the door and let Oshawa kind of control things for a bit. Yeah, we can look at three posts, a crossbar, and a missed two-on-O. If any of those goes in, at some point, this is going to be a tie game, and you can look back that way. In the first period, Oshawa is really good at winning 50-50 puck battles along the boards, and I thought they were better than the Knights in the first period at doing that. And if the Knights look back on this, I'm sure they would say, hey, we didn't really like our start, but... You're exactly right. When you have to push to tie the game, you do open yourself up. And there was another weird deflection that made it 4-2 to two where Connor Punnett shoots a puck and it hits off Matt Buckley of the Generals and it goes into the net because it wasn't where Michael Simpson was expecting it to be because it deflected right in front of him. So, sure, weird hops. How difficult a loss is this going to be for the Knights to absorb? Well, the good news is they do have a little bit of wiggle room, and we can get to that in just a little bit when we compare those schedules that the Knights have and that the Generals have. The one line that was going for the Knights right off the bat, I mean, how does the game change if when the line of Denver Barkey, Easton Cowan, and Ruslan Gadzizov hit the ice for the first time, they zoom around and around and around in the Oshawa zone, and then Easton Cowan threads this pass back to Isaiah George. Beautiful wrist shot, sails through, ping. That was the first goalpost. This is a totally different game if that shot is an inch to the left. And if this wasn't a podcast and we could grab copyright material, right now we would be playing a little piece of Al Pacino's speech of one inch too close and one inch too far, and you might not get it and you might not catch it. I don't do a good Pacino. But that's what we would be playing because that's what this was. It was a game of inches ultimately. And we did get to see something that you don't tend to see very often. Oshawa takes a penalty, nine minutes and 42 seconds remaining. The Knights are down five to two at that point. And Dale Hunter knows, hey, you've got to take advantage of any opportunity you get. So he turns it into a six on four advantage, no goalie in the net. And you see Denver Barkey, who had a four point night, Easton Cowan, Ruslan Gazazov, Sam Dickinson, Jacob Julian. You see all of those guys pour over the boards, Oliver Bonk. And they are working the puck around Casper Haltonen. And it was basically those players from that point on for nine minutes and 42 seconds with a few exceptions. And credit those guys. Todd, Kyle, I can't believe it. They didn't seem to look tired ever. Normally, if you play a little extra shift here and there, you can get tired. But things seemed to work out. There was a, a review on a goal. That gave them a break. There was a promotional timeout. That gave them a break. So it was almost like they were out there every second shift. But credit those guys for finding the energy. That was impressive, even though they didn't manage to come all the way back. I've said this. The moment he got selected by the Philadelphia Flyers in the third round, I, whoever ends up with Denver Barkey is going to have a steal of a player. All he does is live up to big moments and put the team on his back in situations. I think he leads the Knights in points. He hit the 30-goal threshold on Wednesday night as well. He's a phenomenal passer. He knows when to shoot. He's 
plays way more physical and and bigger than his height and weight would show, which I think was the re- only reason, Mike, I think he was selected in the third round. If he added another two or three inches and added 10 pounds to his size, he would have been a first rounder for sure. And all he has done is just continuously prove I've always been this way and I'm just going to keep proving to everybody how good of a hockey player I am. That line combination, like you mentioned, I don't, I don't think from the 10 minute mark, I ever looked down at the ice and was like, Oh, there's a different line on. It just seemed to be those guys. And we've seen this in the past. Dale Hunter rides his horses. He rides the big guys that always come through and find a way. And there's a lot of depth and a lot of talent on this night's team, but the way Denver Barkey, Easton Cowan, and Ruslan Gazazov were going, you couldn't not have them on the ice in situations. Casper Halton, of course, coming up with a big goal uh, to really get the the comeback quote coming uh, when it was 5-2 to 5-3. But, man, Denver Barkey is, is something else of a hockey player. He is, absolutely. And you want to bet that the Flyers are noticing that and they're looking oh, at baby. Hey, this is a guy that we have stolen out of the draft, and that's great. That's fantastic. Denver Barkey now up to 31 goals, like you say, a four-point effort. And then Easton Cowan extends his point streak to 27 games. So he's at 29 goals right now, 50 assists for 79 points. And then you've got Sam Dickinson, who picked up an assist as well. And so he's got an 11-game point streak going. So those continue, and Dickinson has 20 points in 11 games. Well, hear from him a little later on in the podcast and if you missed it on the last podcast the chl has gone back into their file cabinets we have from 1997-98 available for public viewing everything else locked away in some file cabinets at least that's what it is in my mind i don't know where the the actual game sheets are but dave gilmore went 33 games from october the 10th 1993 to January 14th of 1994, 33 game point streak. So that is the London Knights record. It stood for 30 years, basically, just over 30 years, just yep. under 30 years. So that's pretty impressive that Easton Cowan is still in that conversation. So we'll see what's next for him. Kyle, the loss does mean that Saginaw has a game in hand on the London Knights, and what they have is a four point gap to make up. So let's compare schedules down the rest of the way, just to give you a sense, because right now it is the Knights and the Saginaw spirit who are battling for top spot overall. Now you can include some other teams in there because certainly the Sioux Greyhounds are not that far away. The Sioux Greyhounds are eight points back of the Knights. They are four points back of the Saginaw spirit. That's getting to be a lot with 11 games remaining, given the way that the Knights and Saginaw are playing. So catching one of those teams, that's going to be a task for the Greyhounds. The Greyhounds could win out, so at least it will put pressure on them. But here's the way the schedules break down. The Knights are now down to 10 games remaining. I would put three of them in the very tough category. They have a home-and-home with Kitchener, and they have a home game against the Sioux Greyhounds. I would put three of them in the pretty tough category because you've got a game against Erie. They always play the Knights. Always. And even though the Guelph Storm have not had a good second half, they are one of the lowest point producers in terms of points that they have accumulated from games dating back to the trade deadline in the league. And they are last right now in the Western Conference. 
I still look at the Guelph Storm as being a team that you have to beat 3-2 every time. And any 3-2 game goes either way. So I put that in the pretty tough category. And then you've got four games against rebuilding teams. You play Sarnia, you play Flint, and you play a home-and-home with the Windsor Spitfires. So three very tough, three pretty tough, and four against rebuilding teams. Then you look at Saginaw. Saginaw has seven games remaining. Only four of them are at home. They have seven on the road, but they've been a pretty good road team. I would put two of those games in the very tough category. They're at Brantford on March the 1st, the Friday night. They had to come back and beat Brantford in Saginaw in overtime. Brantford is tougher than you want to believe they are. They are so well coached, and Jay McKee has that team playing like you have to play to win in the playoffs. They are hard to beat. And, and so, they're top in the Eastern Conference, Mike. So it's, it's not like they're kind of in that three, four spot there. Like they are currently leading in a in a conference where like Sudbury has had a very good year. You know, Oshawa was a real is a really good team. That wasn't a game where you just automatically check the win for the London Knights. Oshawa is very well coached. They're very well structured. They have great goaltending. We saw that on full display on Wednesday. But Brantford's a really good team. There's a reason they're first as of right now in the Eastern Conference. There is, and so that's a very tough game for Saginaw. They also play Sault Ste. Marie in the third game of three games in two and a half days in the Sioux on the final day of the regular season. That's a very tough game. And then I'll put six games in the pretty tough category where you've got Owen Sound, Guelph, Guelph, Guelph. So three times they play the Storm. (laughs) They also play Kingston and Erie. You've got three against rebuilding teams, Flint, Sarnia, and Windsor. So break it down, and it's it's. Pretty similar. Three very tough for the Knights, two very tough for Saginaw. And then you've got Saginaw with maybe a little less of an advantage because they play two, three in threes. So twice they will have three games in three days. So that's tough weekends. The Knights do not have a three and three remaining. So do we give the Knights the edge? It's almost a wash. Yeah, I I would agree too. And the only thing that I will say, I like the way that you broke this down, Mike. You saying, though, that the Saginaw Spirit have two, three, and threes. A lot of times when you talk to coaching staffs and, and teams, and even when you and I go back and forth, anytime you're a team and you go into a weekend and you can win two of the three games, that's considered a very good weekend. It is often very hard. You go in and go a perfect three for three, and you just have the feeling that Saginaw would have to do that twice to be able to leapfrog London based on the remaining schedules. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I think that would make things a little bit a little bit more difficult for Saginaw also knowing that seven of their final 11 games are also on the road but any team can beat any team on any given day just go well, Mike Al Pacino that's that's why they play the games you don't just <laughs> do the simulation on the on the game console you, you got to play them on the ice you never know what can transpire Absolutely. Before we get to the Kitchener Rangers and a preview of what the Rangers have been up to lately, and they've been good, we've got to talk about the shot seen around social media. There was the (laughs) shot heard around the world many years ago. This is the shot seen around social media. We can't show you a picture of it because this is a podcast, but this is the way it sounded. If you haven't seen it, that is London Knights head coach picking up a puck 
in a shootout drill near the end of practice, skating two strides across the blue line, getting to the top of the circle and wiring a slap shot into the top corner. And then he turned around, gave it the Chichi Rodriguez celebration, putting his stick into its holster and was mobbed by the team. That's that's the cheer that you love to hear. And so Dale's been hearing about this. We had to ask Dale what he's been hearing. Well, I've been getting texts from old players, especially uh, my age guys, teasing me all the time uh, that uh, that's the first one we ever see you shoot it in like that. So <laughs> I said, hey. Everybody gets one, uh, so definitely uh, got a lot of output on it. Uh, shouldn't have been shooting at my age anyways, but the boys wanted me to, so I said, I will try one. So It went in, and it went in. We asked Sam Dickinson. He said, this wasn't just top corner. I mean, this was kind of like going back to the All-Star game and what guys were doing and putting it just inside the bar. <laughs> yeah, I can't say I really placed it there that well. <laughs> Close my eyes and shot it dale hunter as modest as they come saying yeah everybody gets one of those well he's had big big goals in his career and i love the way that the knights line this up kyle dale hunter has still got it sure does oh baby does he ever he walked in the confidence he knew exactly where he was going he picked the top corner right over the shoulder and glove and just Oh, as a goalie, the last thing, the last thing you want in practice is for your head coach to come down and blow one by you. And you just, you know, Owen Wilmer, he's got a great, he's got a great personality. He's got a great optimism towards him. And you just, I, I feel for him in that because, you know, he kind of heard it a little bit from the guys afterwards. It's forgotten about later, but in that moment, you're like, oh, come on. Did you have to do it to me? <laughs> well, it made for an example and a show of just how close this London Knights team is. You see that celebration around Dale Hunter. If you haven't checked it out, it's all over the Knights socials. So go and have a look at it if you haven't seen it. But we talked to Sam Dickinson about the shot and then maybe who has the most accurate slap shot on the team here first is Sam on what Dale Hunter did. He put it in a spot that, that only one guy can put it. I, 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 I'll tell you what, I couldn't put it in that spot. I was, he, put, he perfectly placed that block. <laughs> well, you can't. Eh? You're supposed to shoot it low, right? Like from the point. You can't shoot it. I don't, I don't also have the confidence to go uh, with a one-timer from the top of the circles on a breakaway. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, not, I'm not even going to attempt those ones. So not even in practice you haven't tried one of those? I haven't tried it yet. Typically I'm trying to score in the shootout, and I, I, don't, I don't think you score very much from up there. So what do you think? Him hitting that, do you think it will encourage more players in that drill to maybe just wind up and fire a clapper at Toward the top corner? Well, I think so. Someone's got to, you know, someone's got to try for it now. So I think I think some other guys will try to see it, and if they score, they'll definitely be letting everybody know that. Who do you think has the most accurate slapper on the team? Most accurate? Because um, that's what it would take. You don't have to hit that hard. No, you just what? have to put it in the right spot. I think uh, McHugh. He's got he's got an accurate one. He can, he can place it pretty well. I'd say it'd be him or Barky. The two of them. They can they can place a puck pretty well. The game is never easy, but does it feel? easier maybe than last year for you at all 
I, I definitely think, think so. I think, you know, I think anybody would say that, you know, you go from a 16-year-old to a 17-year-old, it does make a, a pretty big difference from, you know, you're just kind of, you know, after after your first year, you know, it feels pretty good to have, you know, a full year under my belt to, you know, be able to play in this league. And I think, you know, you learn a lot of things about the league. You know, you learn, you learn kind of how the team plays, how the guys on your team play. You know, you learn about other guys on other teams and you kind of, you know, find sort of learn your identity of, uh, you know, the kind of player you're going to be and, you know, how to kind of embrace that and, you know, do it to the best of your ability. Sam Dickinson admitting that, yeah, the game is a little bit easier just because you're more used to it. This guy has had such a tremendous year, one of the league leaders in plus minus, and then pouring in points the other way now has 20 points in 11 games. And Kyle, I can't wait to see how high he goes in the NHL entry draft because the way he's playing now, the only thing he's doing is going up. Where Are we talking enough about what Sam Dickinson is doing. I feel like we do, but I feel like we don't at the same time. He has 20 points over an 11 game point streak as a defenseman. Mm -hmm. Like that is that's on in a draft year. This isn't after he's been selected and he comes back and he has the big jump. This is before he is officially drafted into the national hockey league. It's so much fun watching him, watching him. He plays with such passion. He plays with such energy. He's so poised on the back end. He's physical. You can never outskate him. He's got a rocket of a shot. He's always looking out for his teammates. I mean, I know it sounds like a broken record, but I said he's one of the best 16-year-olds I ever watched last year. And he just, he continues to show why that draft stock's going up. You bet. And the Knights are going to need him and everybody else to have one of their best games of the year in their next game. They will be taking on the Kitchener Rangers on March the 1st, and it will be at the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium, and the Knights, over a span of less than two weeks, beat the Kitchener Rangers three times, outscored them 18-5. to Everybody in Kitchener has been waiting for March the 1st when the Knights come back. Now, the Rangers had won five in a row, so they're back to playing very good hockey, and they ended up losing 3 to nothing in Sault Ste. Marie on Sunday. That stopped that streak. But you look at the players that have been going before that particular game. Carson Rakoff, 12 points in four games before that game. Seven of those were goals. He'd gone through a dry spell, and the Knights were part of that dry spell. Well, he hasn't had much of a dry spell of late. So seven goals in four games. Matt Sopp, 10 points in four games. Philip Mashar has been going six points in three games. And you've got to find a way to solve Jackson Parsons. Plus, everybody in that building is going to be there to see a Kitchener Ranger victory. And they are going to be going nuts if the Rangers happen to get a lead. It is vital for the Knights to get off to a great start against the Kitchener Rangers. This is going to look like playoffs. I mean, maybe back to the Saginaw game. This this is going to be, hey, we're this close to playoffs. This is how it's about to feel. Uh, we talked about jumps from certain players. Carson Rakoff has been the epitome of that. Every single year, he has, he has now outscored his last pace by a minimum of 25 points. He had a 26-point jump from his first to second year. He now has a 20 five-point jump currently with about, what, 10 games to go, 11 games to go for the Kitchener Rangers, and he has 47 goals in 50 games. He screams like he is going to be a 
consistent and very good National Hockey League player. 6'1", 200 pounds, can shoot the puck like no other. He started getting more time at the World Junior Hockey Championships when he was played in the top six. He is a legitimate threat along with, like you said, Sop and Massar and man, just Rakoff, he's, he is such a good player. I've admired him for some time now and watching this jump, if, if you don't shut him down, you almost always lose to the Kitchener Rangers. Yeah, you have to watch him, and there are a lot of guys. Matt Sop. Yep. Matt Sop is about as underrated a guy as you can find, and so he's somebody else to pay really close attention to. And then the Knights go to Flint against the Firebirds on Saturday. They will be playing three games in a row on the road before returning home on March the 8th against the Sarnia Sting. And Kyle, will be back in our next podcast to recap what happened in Kitchener, recap what happened against the Flint Firebirds. But this one, March the 1st, it's one of those ones you mark down as being one of the big games of the season. Where does everybody sit? How does everybody react when everything is this hyped up? Can't wait. I can't wait either. And then we get back to some normalcy because, Mike, this is the second straight Friday night. We're not at Budweiser Gardens, which is a very weird feeling for both of us. So we'll be nice to get back back into that regular routine. But uh, until then, the night's got to finish off on the road strong before returning home next Friday. And as always, make sure you listen into the podcast, listen to other episodes that we have. If you miss conversations with former players, we had the three inductees into the Hall of Fame for the London Knights on Mike you had some great conversations with them conversations with Dale Hunter as we had on this episode and a lot more Spotify Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Amazon Music as well Mike enjoy the weekend and we'll talk more next week look forward to it